If you would turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 38 and 39 today, we're actually doing two chapters. One is very brief. So as we come to the book of Isaiah, we are in the narrative portion, right in the middle. We stopped uh, right at the juncture between judgment and blessing, and we're hearing about King Hezekiah. Let me give you a little insight as to where we are in the book. Um, the book of Isaiah is not a chronological account of the life of Judah and Israel, but rather we see different things are placed in different spots. And so what we're reading actually comes prior to the Assyrian invasion uh, that we read about last week in Isaiah chapter 37. But nonetheless, it is about you know, King Hezekiah and his life and let, let me uh, say that this sermon could be entitled, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. So that's where we are in terms of King Hezekiah. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So what's good, what's bad, and what is ugly? It's not a Western. Uh, it is not um, the criteria by which kindergarten art teachers determine what is good, bad, and ugly uh, from art. But rather, it is King Hezekiah. Now, I want you to think about this in terms of King Hezekiah and who he is. Now, King Hezekiah, and I'll refer to this a couple different places. Think about who he is in terms of the kings of Judah, the southern tribes. In 2 Kings 18, verse 3, here's what it says about King Hezekiah. It says this, And what he did was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the Asherah, and he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. He trusted in the Lord, the King of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him and kept the commandments that, were the, that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. Think about that. That's how Hezekiah is described. It would be great. It would be phenomenal if we had those attributes ascribed to ourselves. And yet I will tell you that Hezekiah was also a flawed individual. So think about this. A man who is recorded in 2 Kings 18 as being one of the greatest kings of the people of Judah, he fell and he sinned and he struggled. And in many ways, it's good for us to see this. But let, let me begin with the good part. We're going to read chapter 38. That's the good part of Hezekiah today, okay? Again, this happened uh, prior. This is in his reign uh, but let's, let's read. You may stay, stay seated today as we read Isaiah 38, and then I'll get to the, the bad and the ugly in 39. Chapter 38, verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. This shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this one thing, do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of, ah of Ahaz turn back ten steps. So the sun turned back on the dial the ten steps by which it had declined. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. 
I said in the middle of my days, I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. I calm myself until morning. Like a lion, he breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Like a swallow or crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these is the life of my spirit. O restore me to health and make me live. Behold, it was my welfare that I had great bitterness. But in love you have delivered me from the pit of destruction. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living he thanks you as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me. And we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. Now Isaiah had said, let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. Hezekiah also had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? Now, may God add his blessing to the reading of his word, and we'll get to the bad and the ugly in 39. Here's what we see in in Isaiah chapter 38. Certainly, we see that Isaiah is sick. He has some sort of boils. He says has some sort of infirmity that is very painful. And Isaiah the prophet comes to him and he says, like, you are about to die. Put your house in order and you're going to die. Now, let me tell you why this is so distressing for Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah is in the line of Judah, a direct descendant of King David. And at this moment in time, he does not have an heir. At this point, the promise that God had made to David, his father, that he would send one, he would send a redeemer, a savior, that now the line of David would be cut off from man. And so Hezekiah, his son Manasseh, who was only 12 years old when he began to reign. Remember, God adds 15 years to Hezekiah. So Hezekiah has a son about three years after, or or sometime after this. Um, He has no heir. And so he's about to die with no heir. He sees the, the line of David being broken. He sees the promises of God being extinguished. He sees the legacy in front of him as being obliterated and snuffed out. And he begins to weep bitterly. Now, here's the good part of Hezekiah. So when he's ill, when he's suffering, when he's in distress, what does he do? He begins to run to the Lord God Almighty. And he pleads with God. He runs in prayer. Prayer is a reflex of Christians and the faithful people of God. And Hezekiah faithfully, and this is the good part, he runs to God. And what does he do? He runs to God and he says this, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in the faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. So he he reminds God that he has loved the Lord. But I think in the midst of that, he's also saying, But I don't have an heir. Who will take care of the people of Israel? Who will take care of your children? He is concerned not just for himself, but he's concerned for what will happen after he leaves. 
And there is a sense in which, um, I mean, this is the good part here. And we know that from chapter 37 that God hears prayers. In, in chapter 37, I, I preached last week, and we read about God actually bringing about the destruction of the Assyrian army because he prayed. In chapter 37, verse 21, Hezekiah prayed and he answered the prayer. This week, you know, has been an opportunity for us to exercise our belief and faith that prayer works. When difficulty and distress come upon us, when illness and infirmity and those things arise, I appreciate when the people of God say, pray, pray for me, pray, pray, pray. And this week when um, we find little ones who are ill and have to be transported to hospitals and we call the elders and the deacons and the people of God to pray, we pray. And the, the trumpet um, when I think about Ezra and Nehemiah, the, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, and Nehemiah being a man of prayer, that's why we call him Nehemiah. He's always praying. You know, he says, like, when you're in distress, blow your trumpet. Blow your trumpet. Let us know how we can pray. Let us know how we can intercede to the throne of grace. As many people, we, we want the entire congregation and the people of God to be praying and and. As if we're annoying God, we're not annoying Him, but we're bringing to Him, to this throne of grace, saying, Lord, heal, comfort in the midst of distress. I mean, that is what we are called to do. Now, notice what Hezekiah recognizes. Now, Hezekiah actually writes a part of Isaiah because it says, a writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, in, in chapter 38, verse 9, he actually writes this. So here's what happens. So God heals him. He hears his prayer. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. So does prayer work? Yes. He gives him a sign. In verse 7, he gives him a sign. This will be a sign to you that the Lord your God will do this thing. He turns back the clock ten steps. Essentially, the, the, the sun moves. The sun turned back on the dial the ten steps by which it had declined. And we see that in the book of Joshua. We see that here. And that sign is to tell Hezekiah, I have heard you and I will answer your prayer. And then he's healed. We, now we read about the healing uh, in verse 21 of Isaiah chapter 38. Now Isaiah said, you know, let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. But we know that that's not just how God used, although God does use medicine sometimes to, to answer prayers. He does it through the miraculous or the mundane. He might heal someone miraculously taking away whatever ails them, or he might use his power you know, to give doctors skills, gifts, and abilities to heal little ones and, and take out cancer and eradicate disease. We see that. And then... Here's the beauty of what Hezekiah does. Because in the midst of this, he is now healed from all that he has. He says, you know what, we're going to commemorate this. And I think that sometimes in the midst of the church, in the midst of our own lives, when God answers our prayers and he does wonderful things, we forget to memorialize or to remember all that he has done. So that's an application for us. When we see amazing things that God has done, we should memorialize. We should actually sort of set up our own Ebenezer, uh, some sort of sign saying, remember when this happened. Remember when God answered my prayers. Because in the future, when difficulty and distress come, 
We can remember and say, yes, remember when God answered my prayers here? He will answer my prayers again. He is a good God and loves to give good things to his children. So Isaiah basically writes a song. And he, or he writes a, a, a psalter in the midst of Isaiah 38, verse 10. And notice what he says. He, he essentially, from verses 10 all the way down to verse 16, he says, here's where I was. Here's how sad I was. Here's how despondent I was. But, but there's also the kernel of faith in verse 11. He, he said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord and the land of the living. There's a sense in which he's saying, I long to continue my life so that I might bring glory to God. Not necessarily glory to myself, but glory to God in the midst of the healing. And he even says in verse 17, and this is reiterated in Psalm 119 in several places along with other places, Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness, that the affliction of the Lord in the midst of these boils caused me to turn to him in prayer to recognize that, yes, I'm king, but that you are God. And that even a king subjects himself to the Lord God Almighty. He says, but in love you have delivered me. So that in the midst of the bitterness and the distress that that he causes Hezekiah to turn to him in faith and in prayer. And then he answers the prayer and he says this at 17. He says, but in love you have delivered me from the pit of destruction for you have cast all my sins behind your back. And he goes on to say, for Sheol does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. Now there's a a sense in which he sees the promise there by adding 15 years to his life because he doesn't have any children at this point. But as the father of the nation of Judah, he's saying that I will actually tell the children to praise you. But even more so, he's saying, but I look forward to the day when you allow me to have an heir so that I can teach my child to trust and believe in you. That's the beauty of Hezekiah's life right there. I mean, really, that is a man after God's own heart. That's a man who has taken away the, the, the shrines and the idolatry of the land of Judah. And he says, no, we're going to worship God and worship him alone. It's the beauty there. All right, so that's the good news, right? That's the good part, right? So let's talk a little bit about bad and ugly. A little bit about bad and ugly. And this is... Um, it's, it's a stunning development in the life of Hezekiah because you see a guy who trusts in the Lord, who does what is right, who takes down the idols, who actually says, I want to teach the next generation. And yet it is amazing what happens. It is amazing the deceitfulness of sin. It is amazing how we can be lured away from faithfulness to God, to covenant fidelity, to idolatry in a matter of moments. Just like that. I mean, some of you, you, you know that. Some of you, we, we can be enjoying creation, singing praises to God, and yet in a moment, we could be having, you know, impure thoughts. Yeah. Some of you could be singing Mighty to Save on your car ride to church, and somebody is driving too slow, and you immediately go into, you know, the wrath of God befalling the person in front of you. It's amazing how quickly anger or anxiety, or in this case, flattery, can cause us to to leave the Lord God and begin to think too highly of ourselves. Now, in chapter 39, let's talk about the bad and the ugly. At that time, 
Merodach Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. So let me, let me just uh, give, you, give you a note. At this point, Judah is not a mighty nation. I mean, they're, they're kind of, if you're thinking about Europe, it's kind of like Luxembourg, you know? If you can find it, you're doing really good in geography, okay? Like, if you know where that is, good on you. If you're thinking I'm making that up, it's actually a real country, okay? Yeah, at this point, Babylon is probably, um, you know, Babylon is probably all of Germany and most of France. And so they're a mighty up and rising nation, okay? They're a mighty up and rising nation. And so at this point, the king of Babylon sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah following his illness, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly. And he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come up, come to you? Hezekiah said, They have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. All right, let's talk about the bad. This is bad, okay? I want you to notice there's a couple things here. And, and, and this is the, the, the scheme of the devil in the life of Hezekiah. The scheme of the devil, if he couldn't, you know, through fearful, you know, different armies, you know, overthrow Hezekiah, he did it through flattery. So let, let me just paint the picture here, okay? Um, let's say, just for example, you know, uh, one of the guys who, who I love, um, like a guy like Kevin DeYoung or maybe a guy like Tim Keller, you know, calls me up and he says, um, hey, George, I've been listening to your sermons online, and they are spectacular. I mean, and they are, right? Um, and, and, you know, and he says, you know, I really, really want to get your transcripts for your sermons, because I think that they might help me in the study that I have. And I'm like, wow, wow. I'm feeling really good about it. Matter of fact, my head, which is big already, is getting larger and larger, Right? And I'm thinking really you know, big things about myself. I'm thinking, wow, like I, I'm so significant. And so here's what's going on. The, the king of Babylon, who again is, is a mighty king, and he goes, it, it's similar to, let, let's say, for example, if the president of the United States wants to honor the mayor of Smithfield, okay? I mean, the, the, pres, the POTUS and the mayor of Smithfield, okay? I mean, that's essentially what we have going on right here, all right? And so, you know, Hezekiah is sort of overwhelmed by the fact that somebody has heard about a sickness, that somebody has, that, that he has not, and heard about a sickness and recovery, and that this envoy, uh, the son of Baladin, the, the son of the king of Babylon, sent letters and he sent me a present. He sent me a present to Hezekiah. And in the midst of that flattery, he goes, man, let me tell you how great I am. Let me tell you how smart I am. Let me tell you about all the things that I have right now. And so it's amazing that Hezekiah, rather than deferring and deflecting any of the glory that the king of Babylon might give him, rather than saying, no, no, you don't understand. 
Like, let me tell you the story. The story is that the Lord God heard my prayers. Do you know him? Do you know the one God Almighty? Do you know the one who created and sustains the one true God? Because there's nothing in me that allowed this to happen. It is only by him. But rather than that, he says, man, I'm pretty important. We need to be very careful about flattery. You know, it's one thing to deal with difficulty and distress, but how do men and women do with praise? When people praise you, how do you handle it? Because I will say that many people cannot handle praise. I think we also need to be careful. Let me just throw this out to you. Um, I think we have to be careful in terms of how we heap praise upon our children. I've heard many people say, and like, my, my child is so smart. My child is so smart, so smart, so smart, so smart. And I've heard that for years with certain children. And I've seen those same children at times when they get to be so smart and 18 years old, think that they're smarter than their parents, smarter than the scriptures, smarter than God, and go their own way and not believe in the truth of God's word because they've been told that they are so smart for so long. Now, I'm not here to discourage children. Like, I am not. But what I want parents to do, affirm and encourage your children when you see the fruit of the Spirit manifesting in their lives. When you see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, and kindness working themselves out in the life of your children, then I want you to actually um, encourage them with those things. Don't encourage them with what the world says is important. Encourage them with what the, the Word of God says is important. And I know I missed one. What, what did I miss? Faithfulness. faithfulness. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Faithfulness. Encourage them with faithfulness because apparently I forget faithfulness every time. That's why Katie nudged over William and said he forgot it yet again. So there's a sense in which you know, we, we should encourage our children in those things. Now, how do you deal with this? Well, Hezekiah did really, really poorly here. You know, he, he began to, to think about, notice what he says. It, it, it's astounding here because he begins to say, I showed them everything. I, I showed them his treasure. And he, you know, and, and he tells Isaiah, they have come to me from a far country. What have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Um, he showed them everything. And yet everything that Hezekiah had was from the Lord. So there, here's the ugly part. Here's the ugly part of Hezekiah. Again, this is a guy who says, you know, this is a man after God's own heart. This is somebody who was, a, who was raised up in 2 Kings 18 as a pillar, right? So look at how easily it is for Hezekiah to fall to flattery. And then look at how easy, easy it is for him to fall into selfishness in the midst of his own life. I mean, if it's flattery is, is the bad and falling it, falling down because of pride, look at the sinfulness of selfishness that occurs in Isaiah chapter 39. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and there shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. 
for he thought, there will be peace and security in my days. Now, that is not good. Like, that is a terrible thing. You know, fathers do not want their children to be enslaved and made eunuchs in the foreign you know, country, right? Like, this is a bad thing. So when he says this, when Isaiah comes to him, and remember, in Isaiah chapter 38, when he says, in those days, he says, Thus the, says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and you shall not recover. How did Hezekiah re- reply? Hezekiah runs to the Lord. He prays to the Lord. He says, Lord, please, please, please. Look at what he does here. After he's been given this, this prophecy, it says, then your, your sons whom you, who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and there shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. At that point, Hezekiah should or you tore his garments, put sackcloth on, put dust on his head, called a fast for the entire you know, country, and then prayed and prayed and prayed and asked the Lord to deliver him from his pride and his flattery, and that the Lord God would hear him and deliver him from this terrible prophecy. But he says this in the midst of selfishness. He says, the, the, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good? It's not good. For he thought there will be peace and security in my days. You know, when, when, when Hezekiah in chapter 38 is thinking about his legacy, in chapter 39, he has forsaken his legacy. And again, in 2 Kings 18, it says, again, let me just read a section of this. You know, 2 Kings 18, it says this, that so there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. I mean, that is high praise. And yet, and so, so I think that this is a, um, this is something that we need to look at and go, what is in my life that can cause me to turn on a dime towards sinfulness away from the living God? What are the things in our life that can cause us? Is it flattery? Is it pride? Is it arrogance? Is it idolatry? Is it anger? Is it anxiety? What in the midst of our life can cause us to pursue our own selfish desires rather than pursuing the Lord? Now, um, in the midst of uh, thinking through that, I I started reading a book um, because it was referred to me. And it's a book by a guy named Octavius Winslow. And Octavius Winslow was a, a nonconformist pastor um, in the early 19th century, mid to early 19th century. And, and, the, and the book is called Personal Declension and Revival of Religion and the Soul. You know, old guys just didn't know how to write, write like awe or like, you know, they, I mean, their titles are good, right? Octavius Winslow, this is one of the, I mean, it's so sweet. Let me just read a couple things because again, personal declension and revival of religion in the soul. So certainly in, in chapter 39, we see personal declension or decline, okay? A spiritual decline in the midst of Hezekiah. Now, I don't know about you. Actually, I do know about you because I know most of you, okay? I know that there are times in your life where you feel very distant from the Lord, that you feel as if you are very, very far from him. And, and as a matter of fact, there's, there's a sense in which um, Winslow, um, there's, there's this poetry where he says this. He says, where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is the soul-refreshing view of Jesus and his word? What peaceful hours I once enjoyed, how sweet their memory still, but they have left an aching void the world can never fill. 
Return, O holy dove, return, sweet messenger of rest. I hate the sins that make thee mourn and drove thee from my breast. Essentially what he's saying there is, you know, what is it that is causing me to have a spiritual decline? Now he's talking about this in the life of a believer, one who, who has uh, believed. And here's what he, he says. Um, he goes, what is hurting your soul? Search what has fallen as a blight upon your soul. What is feeding at the root of your Christianity? The Apostle Paul, skillful to detect and faithful to reprove any declension in the faith or laxity in the practice of the early churches, discovered in that of Galatia a departure from the purity of the truth and a consequent carelessness in their walk. Grieved at the discovery, he addresses to them an affectionate and faithful epistle, expressive of his astonishment and pain. He says, you did run well, you ran well. Who has hindered you? What stumbling block has fallen in your way? What has impeded your onward course? What has enfeebled your faith, chilled your love, drawn your heart from Jesus, and lured you back to the weak and beggarly elements of a poor world? That's what he says. So the question for us is, and the question for me, and the question that I'm posing for you in terms of application, because quite frankly, if someone from who can be applauded, and 2 Kings 18 can fall like that, so can we. So what enfeebles our faith? What is drawing our hearts away from Jesus? What is luring you away, or luring you back to the weak and beggarly elements of the world? He goes on to say this, and I mean, it's, I mean this, this book is, I'm just, it, it's rife with so many good things. And, and, he, and, he, and he gives us application here too, when he says, you know, in the midst of this, he says this, he says, but when the mind is preoccupied by Christ, he goes, once you understand what the ailment is, once you understand what the root cause is that is alluring you back, he, he actually um, talks about it in, in this way, he uses this, this image, and I think this is such a good image. Uh, I mean, some of you like plants. Um, and there's a sense in which you can go outside, or maybe that's a house plant, and when you see a plant beginning to droop, right, a plant that begins to droop, you have to ask the question, why is this plant drooping? Now, that plant is still alive, but he likens that plant to a Christian that is struggling with some sin in their life. Have you ever felt as if your faith is drooping? <laughs> like, you feel drooping in your faith? And the question becomes, do we just add water to that plant? Because sometimes that's all it needs, right? It needs the water of the Word of God. It needs encouragement from other believers. It needs something else. But, it, but it's a lack of water that is causing that plant to droop. There's other plants that maybe there's a worm eating at its roots. And no, no amount of water that you can pour upon that plant will actually help that plant. We have a whole row of begonias in the front of our house. I'm sorry. They used to be called begonias. They're called deer fodder or deer feed right now, Okay. They have been eaten down to the nub. That plant is still alive, but it is ugly. It is an ugly begonia. And the only way that we can you know, bring life and vitality back is to eradicate the deer. You know, boy, that's a weedy species right there, but I'll get into that you know, some other time. Deer, they're terrible, you know. Um, 
So, so with our begonias, it's the deer. We have to get rid of the deer. With other plants, maybe it needs water. With another, it might be some sort of insect that is eating it or a worm that's eating its root. I don't know what it is, but he's saying at some point in your life, you are like a plant and you are drooping and you need to identify the root cause. Is it a worm? Is it the deer? Is it a lack of water? Is it a lack of soil? What is it that is causing you to droop? And you need to eradicate that. And once you understand and identify what it is, he says, once you put that off, what you need to do is put on Christ. And here's what he says um, briefly. He says this, he goes, that, but when the mind is preoccupied by Christ, filled with contemplations of his glory and grace and love, no room is left for the entrance of external allurements. The world is shut out and the creature is shut out and the fascinations of sin are shut out and the soul holds a constant and undisturbed fellowship with God while it is enabled to maintain a more vigorous resistance to every external attack of the enemy. I love that. I mean, as I read that, it just fires me up in terms of like, yes, Like, what is causing me to not want to read my Bible, to be near God? What are the things that are eating away at the root of my heart and my faithfulness to God? And he says this about the Holy Spirit. This is my last one before we go into communion, but it's it's so good. I have to read different parts of it. Um, He says this. He talks about the Holy Spirit. Um, He goes, this, a declining soul needs more all beside He says we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. Possessing this in a large degree, he possesses every spiritual blessing. It includes and is the pledge of every other. Our dear Lord sought to impress this, his last consoling doctrine upon the drooping minds of his disciples. His bodily presence in their midst, he taught them, was not to be compared with the spiritual and permanent dwelling of the Spirit among them. The descent of the Holy Spirit was to bring all things that he had taught them to their remembrance. It was to perfect them in their knowledge of the supreme glory of his person, the infinite perfection of his work, the nature and spirituality of his kingdom, and its ultimate and certain triumphs in the earth. The descent of the Spirit, too, was to mature them in personal holiness and more eminently fit them for their arduous and successful labor in his cause by deepening their spirituality, enriching them with more grace and enlarging them with more love. And fully did the baptism of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost accomplish all this. The apostles emerged from his influence like men who had passed through a state of reconversion. And so Winslow, this this man who knows, he goes, So arise and pray, and pray that the Spirit would work in your life. Give up, pray that, pray that the Holy Spirit would be working in your life in this way. And this is, this is really good, and I'll end with this. That you would give up your lifeless religion, your form without the power, your prayer without communion, your confessions without brokenness, your zeal without love. And oh, what numerous and precious promises cluster in God's word, all inviting you to seek this blessing. And in Psalm 72, verse 6, it says this, He shall come down like rain upon the mown grass, uh, upon the, the grass that has been mown down, as showers that water the earth. I will heal their backslidings. I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from them. I will be as the dew unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall spread, and his beauty shall be as the olive tree, and his smell as Lebanon. I mean, that's the promise of God. So the promise for us and what we're called to do is to trust and believe in Jesus and to pray that the Holy Spirit would be working in us to ignite our affections so that we are in love with what God calls us to be in love with. 
to root out the worm that is destroying our faithfulness to him, to, to add that he would pour forth his mercy and grace upon us. I mean, that's, that's why I read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. So if you feel removed from God, from the blessing of God, from the people of God, from the, from the promises of God, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says that this, let us then with confidence, because of what Jesus has done for us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we are thankful for the way that you love us and you pour forth grace and mercy upon us. Father, we don't deserve it. That's why it's called grace. And Father, you don't give us what we do deserve, and that's called mercy. And Father, we're thankful for Jesus, the great lover of our souls. And Father, we pray, Lord, that we would live for him through the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, work in us so that we might be faithful witnesses about you to a world that is ravaged by sin, full of despair, and in search of something. Father, we have the answer, so Father, give us courage to answer and give us opportunity. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.